DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time to welcome in David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. His weekly appearance brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. You know, it's always interesting we do this. Because I have a nice morning routine going, so I, I get up and do a little reading, and then I do yoga and meditation, and then I talk to PK. Every Friday. It's, so an interesting transi- it's an interesting transition. After you're all relaxed and centered, then you get you get the ex-New Jersey guy who's all combative. It gets you all stirred up again. Yeah. You know, I've just done my did my calm app this morning, did my yoga. I'm like feeling very, you know, zen right now. And now I and now PK try maybe it's actually the only way that you don't fall into the PK trap. <laughs> I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> no, don't do that. It would be such a bummer. How are you, PK? <laughs> Under the circumstances, I'm great. I'm grateful. I'm great and grateful, that's for sure. How's the golf game? Uh, you know, I've come to grips with I'm not as good as I used to be a couple years ago, and it's bothering me a little though. bit. Uh yeah, but I was I was getting a lot better, and and now I I see a decline. And where's where's the decline going to be? You know, where's it going to end? Where am I going to settle? Do you work at it? Like, are you willing to like go to the range and chip for an hour and putt for an hour and hit balls and work on fifty, seventy five hundred, like one twenty five? No. So, like, I'm having the most enjoyable golf stretch over the last two or three years because I've watched my daughter. And I've seen how hard she works, and I know I have no interest at all in putting in that kind of time to be that kind of player. Yeah, so Lucevino. So, so, like, I mean, I'm totally content. Yeah, uh, I know. I get it. And that's 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 a metaphor for life, really. How much work you put into it, it determines how much success you have. Lee Trevino tells a story where he was going to some type of uh, pro-am event early in the week, and he drives up. And someone, he's actually uh, someone else is driving. And he looks over and he sees this figure in the sand just pounding away. And he does his thing. He's there for about five, six hours. He comes back. And so he's leaving. And he looks over. He sees the same person out there doing the same type of thing. He finds out later. He stops. He says, who is that? He finds out it's Jordan Spieth. And Jordan Spieth has been there all day working on his game while Lee was doing, you know, Lee's a golf celebrity, obviously, and is very charismatic. And so he's doing that thing at this stage of his life because he had a phenomenal career. And it's really something that you put into the work you put into it is going to determine most likely the success you're going to have. And it's really something you can apply across the board. Yeah, it's, no, it's a good point. Like, I mean, today I think my daughter will go to the range and she'll probably hit for two hours hitting 10 balls to 50, 10 balls to 75, 10 balls to 100, 10 balls to 125. And then do it again. And yeah, yeah. do it again. It's tedious. And do it again. And I would not make it through the first rotation. But you would sit down at your computer and add up a bazillion numbers about the NBA. Right. And so it got yeah, you to where you right. are. So, you know, you can't do everything, David. You just got to pick something. All right. Well, I've picked that my 10.8 handicapper plus is just totally fine. <laughs> How's that? Nothing wrong with that. You can shoot. You can shoot in the low to mid 80s. That'll work. Yeah. Uh, we know many things about you, David. One thing we know is you hate the freaking Lakers. And we were going to play yeah. the drop, but we're in a different studio because they're rebuilding some stuff here. Uh, so 
We can't play it, but I thought of you because I know that you hate the freaking Lakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Avery Bradley decides he's not going to play. And obviously, Lakers, Clippers, Bucks are the three favorites in some order, depending on who you are. But that's who most people have as the best teams in the league. How much does this hurt the Lakers? So I probably would have had the order Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, as you just said it. And with Avery Bradley out, I would probably have it Clippers, Bucks, Lakers. If I was in Vegas betting, I would do otherwise because the Bucks route is easier, right? And so they're more likely to be there. But um, so I intercept saying. But just in regards to who I thought the best teams were, I think this shifts it from the Lakers to the Clippers. I think the Clippers are now a better, deeper roster. I think Avery Bradley's tenacity defensively is significant. His length is significant. I mean, I remember the Jazz playing the Lakers earlier in the year. Um, and just coming back after the game and talking about how long they were. That was like, oh, my gosh, they just take the entire court, you know, and between Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard and LeBron and Danny Green and Avery Bradley. Like, the, the, they were – and Avery Bradley's long, like 6'7", wingspan, kind of like Donovan. Um, but, like, so the Jazz were, you know, 6'1", 6'1", 6'4", with Roy, 6'7", with Joe, six eight with Boyan and Rudy and here were the Lakers at seven one, seven one, six nine LeBron who's massive. Danny Green is what, six five, six six and, and Avery Bradley and they were like just whoa like and then when they went to their small lineup in that game they brought in Alice Caruso and slid Anthony Davis to the five and they still were massively long, even though they were playing quote small. Um so I think the loss of that Avery Bradley in that regard is significant. Now you know the other thing that he was doing really well is he just didn't use any possessions at all. Like, right. So he just played 26 minutes a night and played defense and battled and just rarely used a sh- possession because there's so many other guys in that possession. So he was even, I think his value was even more significant in the sense that he understood how to fit into that group in that role. I, I, the Avery Bradley not going to Orlando is the surprise to me so far. I was listening to Ryan Hatch's station the other day down in Phoenix, and they were talking How about. Oh, he? uh, he's king of the world, man! He's doing great, yeah. as far as I know. Well, talk to him occasionally. Um, they were talking about how for baseball, the TV folks have to do it remotely, but the radio folks are going to be allowed to travel and go on the road. What's your situation? Um, I don't know that we've said anything officially, but it's pretty well known across the league that radio and TV will stay home and not go to Orlando um, on the local broadcasts. Uh, I think in one of the releases that there's a single individual of each organization that's a content creator that will be going into the bubble. So the Jazz will send someone. Um, I understand. You know, I don't. I don't know what I'm allowed to say or not to say on on what's official on that. So there will be content coming to utahjazz.com. Um, uh, from from someone in, inside Orlando, uh, but it will not be radio or TV. So how are you going to call it? They're going to have separate monitors for you guys for TV versus radio? Um, we're working on all of those details right now, but I mean, I think um, socially distanced appropriately, Ron and I will be uh, somewhere um, that, you know, we've believe to you know first is first safety and then being able to put the broadcast out watching it off a monitor 
David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us. Um, we've seen the photos of Nikola Jokic. The Joker has dropped 40 pounds, remade himself to the point I didn't. I had to do a double take. I wasn't sure it was him the first time I saw it. And sure enough, he looks totally different. Do you think, given up that, that he, he's lost any strength that's going to make him a different player? Or is this just going to make a guy who is already averaging 20 points, 10 boards, and 7 assists, is this just going to make him uh, leaker, uh, le- I can't even say, sleeker, leaner, and just, you know, better able to play in the fourth quarter instead of getting tired carrying extra weight around? Or is there a downside? Is he going to get How long have we been off? Well, over three months. How do you lose 40 pounds? Well, I read it was 40 pounds. It may not be, but that was in the story I read about it. it was, he right? lost so like, 40. That's, a, like, that's absurd. That's why I asked you. Because, that it's a lot. <laughs> well, I think we all knew he wasn't in great shape. I mean, I remember the last time the Jazz played the Nuggets, talking with people about how they, they just got to run this guy. I mean, he doesn't look like he's in great shape. Run him, and, and maybe you can wear him down a little bit. You know, I, I do, you know, part of his game, I think, was the girth. Um, but, you know, he's a pick-and-roll liability. Um, if this allows him to play the pick-and-roll defensively better, and, they, and he does not like to drop on the pick-and-roll, he likes to show and come out on the pick-and-roll, and so if he's more agile and able to do that, um, I, I think that could have a tremendous impact, particularly on the defensive level. Like he couldn't be more of a wizard offensively. He's just so great. I can't imagine that he would get less, you know, in some ways he would be hurt in that regard. Um, so defensively, the way they play him is they, you know, we drop Rudy to the rim. They show and um, play the ball aggressively. Um, so that should help him. Their pick and roll defense, if you recall last year in the playoffs, was a disaster because Derek White like dropped 30 on them. Um, and Derek White's not a player who drop, should drop 30 on you. Uh, so I, I think when you, you know, he should get better than obviously long term, that's less wear and tear. And so you would assume he stays healthier, but he has not had a big injury problem. We have seen him quit on given nights, particularly against Rudy. He gets frustrated. Um, will he be, you know, is it less of a burden to play when you're not carrying as much weight? And so therefore you, you don't get as frustrated, would be this, what I would watch. Do you believe Donovan Mitchell has the ability to be first team or second team All NBA in the coming years? Who? What's he going to be? Would he be third team this year? Like he has a chance of that? Yeah, that's why I said first or second. I was thinking that. Um, So he would have to be one of the four best guards in the league. Yes. Obviously. I mean, I'm stating the obvious. I'm just sorry. I'm just trying to, like, calculate that. You know, Bradley Beal was on the All That Smoke, is that what it's called, podcast with Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes. And it was really interesting talking about how he went from 24 to 30 points a game. And that's what he really like wrote the script for Donovan on how to do it. Um, if, if Donovan can follow that, model then the answer is yes but I, I think he'd have to be a 30 point a game scorer to be thought of in that level with the amount of elite level guards that are in the league right I mean so Harden and Harden's still in the league and Steph's and you know we're talking about Steph so now now we're down to two spots right um so you're gonna have to get into that 
rarefied air, and the way you get into that rarefied air is probably by dropping 30 a night, which so, is hard. So the, the path that Beal uh, lays out, is this getting Donovan's four and a half free throws a game up to seven, eight? Maybe, I mean, there's only a couple guys shooting 10, so I hesitate to go much higher than that. Or is it, you you talked about how good Donovan is on the catch and shoots. Is it the coaching staff realigning the offense so he has the ball in his hands less and therefore has a chance to get more catch and shoots? So you are really smart. Might even listen to some of the things I say in the past and make it sound like we're really coached. Like, that was good. Yeah, I mean, Bradley Beal went from 23 to 26 to 31 in three years. And he did it by going from four and a half free throws to five and a half free throws to eight free throws. And he did it by going from six threes to seven threes to eight three attempts. And then specifically the unique thing to Donovan is that Bradley Beal added the off the bounce three to his game. Donovan actually needs to add the catch and shoot three to his game more. It's where someone like Mike Conley is really valuable because it allows Donovan and Joe Ingles to play off the ball a little bit. But Donovan is is truly one of the great catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the NBA. In his three years in the league, if you start running through his numbers on what he is on a catch-and-shoot three, there's very, very few players that are better. Um, the problem is that Donovan's off-the-bounce three game is not great. And I, and I would say that you know if Donovan's taking seven threes a game right now, we need to get him to eight or nine. The eighth and ninth need to be catch-and-shoot threes, where he makes 44% of them for about his career. I mean, I think that's, he's improved a little bit. His rookie year, if I remember, he was, last two years, he was 41%. And then this year, he's 44%. If I, I'm doing that off the top of the head. Whereas the off the bounce three, he's improved a little bit. He was 29% his rookie year. And now I think he's 32% the last two years combined. Still not great. And so, you know, can he get to eight threes a game and maybe instead of, you know, being four and four, it's actually five catch and shoots and three pull-ups. Well, that would be a pretty massive change to his game. And then the next one is learning where to draw the foul. I think that's the, from some of the research I've done, when we think of foul drawing, we think of it at the rim. It's actually earlier. Like if you think of Harden, if you think of Beal, they're actually getting fouled in the paint non-restricted area or even right before they get to the paint on their drives to the basket. It's not at the point in which you're trying to finish at the rim. Verticality in the league has gotten so good. And so you, you're, you're drawing those fouls earlier. And I think that's a, I think you have to watch that on film and learn it. And Johnny Bryant is so great with Donovan, you know, and them have to work on that together to figure that out. But that's, that's kind of when I watched some film during this time period of trying to figure out like, well, how, like what's Bradley Beal doing to draw his fouls. Um, that's what jumped out to me. Cause if you actually look at Bradley Beal this year, his shots at the rim are down a tiny bit, which seems weird that you'd be increasing your free throw attempts so much. Um, but they are, they, he's gone from 28 to 24% um, of his shots are at the, at the rim. Um, Donovan's got some trends that he needs, you know, quite frankly, to answer your first question, Quite honestly, PK is Donovan's amazing. Um, if Donovan's going to try to reach the rarefied air that you just talked about, he has a trend or two that he has to flip. Um, his amount of shots at the rim are decreasing at a pretty dramatic amount. His mid-range shots are increasing at a pretty dramatic amount. And 
those need to flip back around. If I remember correctly, and there's a little dyslexia here and I don't have it in front of me, um, he either used to take 27% of his shots at the rim and he's down to 16%, or he used to take 26% of his shots at the rim and he's down to 17%. Nonetheless, it's a 10% drop. Um, And that 10% drop has, of the 10%, 8% of them are that little floater, and then you know, 1% of them is a mid-range this and that. So um, he's got to fix that. Um, his rim finishing is still elite and unbelievable. He's so creative around there. But he's instead of that floater, he's got to draw foul. So what does Quinn Snyder's line, the road from complacency to complicity is a slippery slope, mean to you? To me, it means, and I've said this about myself, so I'll very personalize this, um, my my answer on this has been that my I've always felt that I was very supportive of equality issues and minority rights and something I pride myself on. But if I was honest about it, in retrospect, I think I was passive and scared. And what he's saying is you need to be active and brave. So how does that play out in everyday behavior? Um, I think, I think in everyday behavior, it's a subtle reminder to someone when they say something that what they did, they may have intended it, they may not have, but it's not appropriate. Um, I think it's an awareness of the plight that different individuals are having. I think it goes back to a Stephen Covey. Uh, line from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where make sure you view the world from other people's lenses, not just your own. Um, You know, the catchphrase right now is to listen, but I do think that's accurate. I had a personal experience with the Lockdown Podcast Network where we put out a Black Lives Matter roundtable. And in my, you know, both you, particularly you, DJ, have had to deal with it when I have a vision of something and I put it together. And in this circumstance, I actually opened my ears and you know, I'll share this story. I shared it on another show, but I, we we had eight of our black hosts putting together a roundtable. Turned out terrifically. It's available on, on any locked on feed. And I, if you haven't heard it, I, I'd strongly suggest it. It was eye opening to me in that we had eight individuals who every you know from all across the country and in different ages, and every single one of them had had you know terrible experiences solely based on the color of their skin. Um, which leads you to believe it's universal. But the story I would tell on this, just on like listening, and this is was this was I think the classic example of kind of the the white director having a vision for something and not. And then I thank goodness I listened. I wanted to open the show with like a real bang. I wanted to have this like huge moment right out of the shoot that grabbed your attention. And so I presented to the host that like, hey, let's come out, say who you are, where you're from, and like give me a quick hitting experience you've had with racial discrimination. I thought it was going to be incredible, right? I'm Ross Jackson. I live in Louisiana. I live in LA. Boom. Hi, I'm Keith Pompey. When I was four years old, boom, right? Like, and I just was like, this is going to grab everyone's attention. And they emailed back and said, we'd far rather be recognized as the humans than we are than the victims of discrimination. Nice. And I was like, you're right. You're hundred percent right. My bad. I like it. Didn't even realize what I had done. Right. But I had totally just labeled all of them as their primary characteristic of how society, like, like that's no, you know what their primary characteristic is? That Chris Carter is, lives in Pittsburgh, went to law school, is a lawyer, also hosts Locked on Steelers, and has two kids. 
that Tony Wiggins has been a barber in Jacksonville for 20 years, former radio host, has three kids and a grandkid, and is the host of Locked on Chatworks. They're humans, not victims of discrimination. Humans who have had experiences share those. So to me, that was a really eye-opening experience that I had just totally implanted, like, this idea on them, and luckily I listened, and it was way better. It's totally you. Okay, radio producer, this is how we're going to structure it. And then ABC. I mean, I have sat at a desk and listened to you do that so many times. And I'm glad that these guys felt like I actually just sent back, like, Ross Jackson's the guy who emailed me back and said that. And then I just sent a reply all, like, okay, this is it right here. Like, you guys got to, like, talk. Like, tell me, this is perfect. Like, thank you. Like, 100%, this is why we're doing this roundtable, so you can tell me. And I had another topic that I wanted to talk about, which was, which I think this is, again, totally my personal experience. And I've just seen so many times in my life where I see someone who I don't think has the intention of being just blatantly racist with a comment to someone, and they are. Um, You know, um, I've had it. Frankly, by being married to a Japanese, I had someone the other day when we were celebrating Loving Day, which is the day in which Loving vs. Virginia in 1967 legalized interracial marriage in America. So there were 18 states in 1967 that made it so if you were a different race, you couldn't get married. In 1967. Okay? So I mentioned this to someone and that I was getting flowers for my wife, who's Japanese, and her, the person's comment to me was, oh, I don't really think of you guys as an interracial marriage. Horrendous. So what you're saying is that the Japanese aren't really minorities, but maybe the blacks and Hispanics are? It's an awful comment. Ah, never thought of it that way. It's a totally awful comment. And so I waited like a week and called that person back and said, you know, I'm sorry, this has just been gnawing in the, in the climate right now. I think i got to share it with you with the way I heard that. And then their comment was, well, I really meant it as a compliment. Okay, you know what? My wife's parents were jailed because of their race for three years of their lives. So don't deny them that at the same time. That goes back to the roundtable that we had where I, these guys said, Tony Wiggins, the guy from Jacksonville, said, don't tell me you're colorblind. I'm black. I live it. Don't ignore it. Listen to it. Let me share it. Hear it. But don't tell me you're colorblind because then you're ignoring me. Then you're not denying me my identity. He's so David Locke. When, oh, sorry. I thought. So I think, well, like, the person who made that comment to me, I've, I've known for a long time, they didn't. It wasn't intended to be this, like, racially laden comment. And I don't think you can, like, banish them from your life for it. But I think it was worth me calling a week later and saying, hey, I don't think you meant this, but it's bothered me for a week. You said this. Like, think about it. And I think it's something you probably should lose from your, your thought process in the future. He's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and you got to be careful with his pauses. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'd been you good know. on the first three pauses, but the fourth one, I, I messed it you, up there. You know who I learned it from, right? Who? Rush Limbaugh. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. David yeah. joins us every week. David, thanks for the a few minutes. As always, we appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon. 
All right, David Locke, Radio Voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, brought to you in part by the Murdoch Auto Team. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Dallas Mavericks center Willie Cauley-Stein informed the team that will opt out of the restart of the NBA season, opening up a roster spot the Mavs intend to fill by signing point guard Trey Burke, the former jazz man Cauley-Stein, expecting the uh, birth of a child in July. Uh, 22-year NBA veteran Vince Carter, now 43 years old, announced his retirement on the Ringers Winging It With Vince Carter podcast, saying he is officially done playing professional basketball. He said the abrupt ending was tough with the Atlanta Hawks not being invited to the NBA restart in Orlando, but he emphasizes he's at peace with his decision to retire. Your back to basketball update is brought to you by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The head coach of BYU's men's basketball team, Mark Pope, you've cast a large net. And is that a philosophy of yours going forward that, hey, look, you know what? We're not going to leave any stone unturned. If a guy's hitting the portal, we want to talk to him. You know, we talk about transfers, and it's their last chance, right? And so you have to get it right. And certainly for us, you know, every recruiting decision is it has to be right. And so sometimes we don't find out until almost decision day if it's a good fit or not. It's hard to find the right fit, and there's no shortcuts to do it. We're really excited with the progress we made on our roster. We think we've identified some guys and managed to build relationships with the right guys who can help us continue to grow the program. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We just had David Locke on. And PK, at the very start of the conversation, man, he threw some cold water all over the uh, Lakers. Did you think uh, Avery Bradley was that big a loss for them? Because Locke, I think it's a massive loss, dropped him from 1 to 3 in his Insta Radio power rankings for us. Uh, yeah, if you put it that way, there's no question I was surprised. I mean, that that's an extreme drop by an average who we would acknowledge as a average role player. I mean, he's been good. He's been in the league for a number of years for obvious reasons, and he's played on some decent teams. Uh, but no, I did not think that that would be the case. And listening to other folks talk about it, uh, as I've or read about it, you know, as to try to get prepared for what's going to happen here or what we want and desperately hope happens, that, you know, they have other players uh, like, uh, was it? Is it Caldwell Pope or Pope Caldwell? Which which uh, which goes first for Contavious? Uh, uh, it's KCW, uh, so it's Contavious Caldwell Pope. Okay, uh, yeah, like for instance, you know, opportunities for him more, and uh, uh, who's uh, Caruso? Yeah, more. You know, I mean, I was just. It's funny because I was just listening to this yesterday about people talking about this very thing. And they were listing the players that they thought would provide more opportunities now, would get more opportunities. And I can't even remember where I was listening to it because you consume so much stuff uh, as you try to prepare for the next day's show. And I, I'm honestly, I can't tell you 
where I heard it, but I know I was listening to it. <laughs> it bugs me that I can't remember. And I know I was listening to it, and they were talking about this very topic. And they just named those two players as players that have played well in limited, more limited minutes than Bradley. And then obviously that they would receive those minutes. It would be, have an increase, and they name those two players as being capable fill-ins. And we do the same thing with who's going to take Bogdanovich's minutes and who's going to take Bogdanovich's shots. Well, in the case of the Lakers with the Bradley reduction, it's not going to be just one player. I just named you two players. And I have to look at their roster, uh, see if there's anybody else. But those two guys were the guys they were talking about. Same thing with the Jazz. It's not going to be, oh, we'll just give all the shots to Joe. It's not the way it works. It's that it's going to be a series of guys. Several guys are going to take to try to take the place anyway of Bogdanovich. And I think that's what Quinn Snyder was talking about yesterday to an extent with, you know, they've got good guys and like playing with each other and they're competitive and all that stuff. I think that was the underlying theme that Coach Snyder was talking about is that we've got guys, quality guys on this roster who can step up. Now, whether they can replace Bogdanovich to the effective, effective level of winning remains to be seen because that's the bottom line, not so much of what but as Joe has said a million times over, it's not about the personal stats. It's about winning and who is going to be able to help them win. Same thing with the Lakers in sort of a long-winded way is, no, I did not expect it would be that dramatic of a loss. You know, the thing I think that uh, David brings up and the way I kind of reconcile what I was thinking, and like you, what I've read other people say, and like you, the the guy, I didn't hear so much uh, or read so much Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope the the people I was reading were really putting on Caruso. Like this is this is his moment. This is his chance. He is on an excellent team with a superstar. He's done good things, but he does have limited opportunities. And this is really going to open opportunities. You know, is he going to seize it or not? And I think the thing that Locke hit on that um, makes me think that Avery Bradley is maybe a bigger piece of the puzzle than I thought. It's not just how good he is. It's how he fits. And how willingly he fits in there, and you know that that matters because um, you got to trying to be good without the ball and trying to be good without shots seems to be one of the harder things for a lot of NBA guys to do because along the way everybody's been a star on their high school team, their AAU team, and their college team, and they got the shots. So now be really effective because you're not getting the shots because you weren't playing with LeBron then, and now you are. You know, and, and to a lesser degree, you know, their second and third options. But if you're going to be the fourth or fifth option, you're just not going to have that many opportunities. And that's where um, Bogdanovich carries more of the load, but you're also asking somebody to do something they've done on other teams in their career, and that is score. Now, maybe you just can't score against, you know, NBA quality athletes and, you know, NBA quality defenders and defensive schemes and all that. Asking somebody to be good without the ball, that th- they're. There don't seem to be that many people who are that good at it and who can really fit in right away on the fly. Maybe Caruso can do it. You know, it's kind of it's kind of a big stage for him and he's looked good when he's been given a chance and he's a fan favorite. You know, the bald white guy isn't your typical NBA star and there he is with his thinning hair and everything. But if you set all that aside and just look at what he's done, you know, he's got size, he's got athleticism and can you plug him in? Maybe he doesn't have as much size as other Lakers, but as Locke said, even when you put him on the lineup on the floor as a small lineup, you know he's still a really effective player, and it's really not that small a lineup. But now you're asking him to do a lot more, and 
I guess the thing that he's got that the Jazz don't have, you know, when you say Conley is going to be the guy who fills in for Bogdanovich, well, I start thinking, well, who's going to do what Conley does? You know, whereas Caruso, maybe there's this untapped stuff. There just haven't been enough minutes and touches and all that stuff. And so really he can fill in for Bradley, but no one really has to fill in for him as much. You know, you're not creating another hole the way you are when you ask another starter to step up and carry the load. Yeah, and I think for the Lakers' perspective, they also have Danny Green can take on more of a load. So that's uh, available out there. Uh, Two things I wanted to add to what you just said, one of which is a question back to you. I'll get to the first statement. I've always been leery of a player assuming that he is in a role. So he's got this role. Yeah. So let's just label it, say, like one through eight. Mm-hmm. on the playing rotation, and he's in the eighth role, and he's really good as the eighth player. Mm-hmm. Now asking him to move up to six or five, that might be a difficult situation. Yeah, and I agree. I, we go be. with the Hornacek deal. When he was in Phoenix, he played on a winning team. He got to Philly, and he was like their best player, and they didn't win. Right. Right. Then he comes here, he moves back down the ladder, to third, and they're going to conference and NBA finals. Yep. So you're slotted in a good role. Yep. And so that's – you may not be better than that role. It remains to be – maybe you are, and maybe you're an emerging player who just needs more minutes and more experience, and then you can move up. I don't know if Caruso can uh, or if whomever on the Jazz can. The thing about the Jazz is we see them every single day, and we've seen Joe mm-hmm. take on a more prominent role That's exactly who I was going to go to. So it doesn't yeah. seem like that big of a stretch. But he's a 32-year-old, six-year veteran also, too. So you know he's been around a block a bunch now in the league, in addition to obviously all of his other international experience. So asking him to step up is probably not that big of a deal. So that's why I don't think that the Jazz are just doomed because of what Without Bogdanovich. And then secondly, you said that uh, he or they are playing with a superstar. I would ask you, are they playing with two superstars? That remains to be proven. I would say, um, you know, the, the thing about that question and the Caruso question is that the answer is uh, not yet, but maybe very soon. You know, Caruso, the the people who watch more, I mean, I see clips and I watch some Laker games, but people watch more Laker games think Caruso has a lot of untapped potential and he can make that jump to just, you know, arbitrary number from the eighth best guy to the fifth or fourth best guy. And so that really they have this untapped potential. And, you know, Joe's a great example because when he was the Jazz 11th or 12th man, people wondered if he could be 8 or 9. When he was 8 or 9, they wondered if he could be 5 or 6. Now you can throw him out in some groups, and he's probably the second best player on the floor, depending on which lineup they're playing and you know who he's out there with. Um, and so every time we've asked the question about Joe, the answer has been, yep, there's more there. He can give it to you, and he can fulfill that role. And I think people think Caruso can do it, but he hasn't done it yet. Do the Lakers have two superstars? Well, LeBron thinks they do because they wouldn't have gone to the lengths they did to basically tamper and leverage Anthony Davis out of New Orleans if they didn't think he was that guy. But has he been that guy to this point? No, he hasn't. He's got to make the leap. Now, this is, you know, the first year with the Lakers, the first year. And it's what you said about sliding Hornacek. I think it's spot on. When Philly asked him to be guy number one, especially considering who were guys 2-3, well, there was no way that was going to happen. 
But when you make him guy three in Utah, especially considering who's one and two, good things follow. Really good things follow. You know, so can Davis be two to LeBron's one? Uh, He probably can be. But man, until you've made the shot Kyrie Irving had to make when he was in Cleveland and he was two to LeBron's one, but you're the guy late in the game and everything's on the line in the big game and you got to make the shot. Well, Kyrie made it, you know? And the thing is, that's not a situation where you could be four out of 10. Now, in the regular season over the course of time, I care whether you're four out of 10 because then you're going to make some, miss some. But when the game's on the line and you got one possession and you're not open by much and you're not open for long and you're not open 10 times, you got to make the one. You know, is Davis going to do that? Nobody knows that for sure. You know, people can guess. Yes, he can. He's, but he, he's not there yet. But this is his first year in L.A. He hasn't failed, Ed, either. Well, in a sense, it's weird. I think he can be the second-level superstar. I don't have any qualms about that. Can he be the first-level superstar? That's where I think it remains to be seen. Because when you're on LeBron's team, until LeBron is probably 40 the way he's going, at best you're going to be the second-best superstar. And if you can do that and do it well, you're going to be really good, which is why they're really good. Yeah. And I know we got to go to break. And my gosh, we got the mother of all tweets, and we can't wait till 945. we got to read it when we come back. One thing I'll say is, really what we're looking at is, can he be another Laker? Can he be Pau Gasol? Because Kobe was the number one and Gasol was the two. But they got into a game seven and they needed Gasol and he had an enormous fourth quarter. Man, he was, and he couldn't carry Memphis when he was there, right? They went out, they got swept three straight times as an eight seed and they were 0-12, I think, uh, when he was the guy. But man, when he was the second guy to Kobe and they needed him in the fourth quarter, I mean, Kobe who is a big moment guy, couldn't say enough good things about Gasol after the fourth quarter of that game seven. So that's the thing that David, but Davis hasn't been in that fourth quarter of the NBA Finals game seven yet. And Gasol, they didn't win it the first time they had Gasol. They won it his second and third years there. He came in for half a season and that's the year they got beat in the finals. So, all right, DJ and PK, uh, the mother of all tweets, I have not been on our notification, so I don't know what it is yet. But Yak is smiling and grinning. He's seen it. It must be good. We'll get to it next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. All right, PK just tweets the mother of all tweets. I'm trying to guess which one it is, PK. We've got several good ones. Is it the one from Zorro that says, nobody cares, months of local woke sports radio is worse than corona, nobody cares except the media, save your money? Was that the one you were talking about? No, 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 no. I want to be positive here. Oh, oh, okay. That was the negative one. The positive one. What a downer. Everybody listens to the same show, but the takes are so different. Uh, In Utah, we're really lucky to have DJ and PK on the air every morning. (laughs) That one. What'd you say? (laughs) In Utah, we're really lucky to have that David DJ James and that PK Kinahan on the every morning. Incredible pros, great content, consistency, trusted. It's a pleasure to listen to them and to join them each week on their show. 
at Locked On Sports. Yeah, that came from David Locke. I got to say, man, all of us thinks individually we're woke. And I make fun of people who think they're woke, but I think I'm woke. So in a sense, I'm making fun of myself. But that that line that he just said, and I've been exchanging some texts with him about uh, how someone told him that they didn't think of his marriage, and he's married to a Japanese woman. We've all met her a hundred times over. That uh, it wasn't an interracial marriage, and he found offense on that. And I, I've done that. I've done that. I've got friends, and I don't think of them that way. But. Is that offensive to them? I've done that. Can I'm it, a freaking idiot. I guess, I guess we should get him back on the air. Can it be good and bad at the same time? Is it possible to be both things? If oh, you're not aware is. that it's both things. Right, but but I don't want to be racist to anybody. Right. And I probably have done that inadvertently. And that, that's what I'm talking about. That 100% opened my eyes to something that I literally never thought about. And I'm not. I'm married to a Caucasian. And so I've never been in that situation. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm raising a minority, so I'm sensitive to that. And I've told you stuff about the child that I'm raising and how other people have viewed her and you've been aware of it because I've told you but that's walking in my shoes I'm not walking in his shoes and he brought that out and I have done that very thing I got to apologize to people because I didn't think that that was bad and he just opened my eyes to something that I had no clue on Well, I guess when we have him on, or I, I really don't want to wait a week because I won't remember in a week probably. It's only 50-50 I'll remember. Yach will now look at me at all the things I've forgotten and go, yeah, your mind is brutal. Um, is, it, is it good and bad at the same time? Because we're taught to you know, see people for who they are. So when you really see the person, and you see the person to the point you no longer consider the race. Is that right. a good thing taken too far and it's bad? Because like you said, her parents were jailed for three years because of where the parents or the grandparents or the great-grandparents came from. You know, it's, and we're right here in Utah. When we moved here, it was one of the, probably did it within a year of being here. And I, I might have done it anyway, but because my uncle, who I was really close to when I was a kid, uh, married a woman of Japanese descent. I think she's second generation. I'd have to ask, maybe third, but I think second. Um, we went to uh, Topaz. And there's just a... It, uh, Topaz Mountain is a mountain, and there was a camp Topaz during World War II. And people of Japanese descent in on the West Coast, primarily California, but on the West Coast, were picked up, taken from their homes, the stuff was sold off, and they were put in these camps for three years because there was this worry that they were going to be sympathizers and terrorists and do who knows what. Now, they didn't do that in Hawaii, but they did it in California. You know, and so, and, and she grew up, my aunt grew up in Hawaii. And so uh, it wasn't her personal experience, but it also wasn't that far removed from her personal experience either. And you can go down there and it is so quiet and the wind just, I was, we were there one afternoon and the wind was blowing and the foundations are still there. Uh, they bulldozed the camp shortly after the end of the war. Uh, but the foundations of cement still sitting there in the ground. You can see what was laid out and try to imagine, you know, what it was like so far from where your home had been. And not knowing when you were going back or what you were going back to or, uh, you know, it's it's about a two hour drive. It's down by Delta. It's a little north of Delta, a couple miles. Um, 
it doesn't matter if it's good. Only that it matters is if, if it's bad. And if someone takes it as bad. Yeah, I do agree with that. Then I've made a mistake. Yeah. And I need to apologize. And I just got a freaking text. You did it to me. And let me tell you, the guy who just texted me that, I apologize. Because it doesn't matter. If it matters I, how they it matters how they it, take it exclusively yes and I've done it and I've and I did not know until right now that I was making that mistake but it is a mistake and I apologize because I, that's my ignorance and that if I learn anything today that is worth learning DJ and PK it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Dr. David Petron, University of Utah Healthcare, Utah's head team physician. He's going to join us next. He's going to lay out what's going on at the U and how they are planning and adjusting and trying to figure out what to do in the fall. And we will talk with him next. Stay with us.